Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Sign up at MyBookie.ag, use our promo code GATORS on your first deposit of $50 or more to redeem a cash bonus of up to $200. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you with some Graham Mertz analysis right here on Gators Breakdown. Joined by Will Miles and Seth Varnador. Man, lots to get into here with Graham Mertz. Hey guys, if you haven't checked it out yet, I won't bury the lead here. We're bringing Seth on because last week he, on his YouTube channel, Varnador Films, released a very in-depth look at quarterback Graham Mertz, the Wisconsin transfers. So after this episode of Gators Breakdown, make sure you go check out Varnador Films. Uh, we'll discuss a little bit right here, but I don't want to steal Seth's thunder of the work he put in there. But, you know, we'll discuss a little bit on here. But Seth goes into a lot of plays, a lot of different type of plays, good, bad in the middle uh, somewhere there with, with Graham Mertz. But, hey, Will, we got a we got a pretty good episode right here diving into the Gators' newest transfer quarterback. Yeah, man, I mean, look, it's an interesting look into, the, into Mertz. It's an interesting signing by Napier. Um, I'm saying interesting because I don't know whether it's good or bad. I think there's, there's some um, different opinions when it comes to Graham Mertz. He's a polarizing figure, which, to be honest, we're kind of used to polarizing at this point in the Napier era. So, uh, you know, hey, that's what it's going to be about tonight. Is, uh, there are some things he does well, some things he doesn't do well. Seth does a great job of highlighting that over in the YouTube, uh, the YouTube video he put out there, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Seth, uh, never a dull moment in the Gator quarterback room. <laughs> no, I mean, there were some dull moments watching some Wisconsin film. Uh, but other than that, yeah, no, it's uh, seemingly the wheel keeps on spinning no matter what. When you think you got things locked down, it uh, it doesn't quite – what was when you got think you got the answer, I changed the question, right, of the Roddy Piper? There we go. Kind of like that, but yeah. Uh, Seth, you've been on the show before, but if this is uh, somebody's first time checking you out right here on Gators Breakdown, just give us a little highlight of, uh, of your background, a coaching background. So that's where you know the the, the analysis and the yeah. and the background work on a, on a quarterback or even you know team 
that's where it comes from, from a coaching perspective. Yeah, I coached high school uh, in college football. I, I was a coach for about a decade. Um, got out of it when I was coaching at the college level just because it's tough to – it's, you know, it, it's not – we're not all making Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher money at the Division two level. So if you want to have, you know, some kids, it's a little bit tougher. But, yeah, coached for about a decade, coached on the offensive side of the ball, quarterbacks, uh, receivers, coached tight ends at the college level, tight ends at H-back. So – had to deal with the uh, offensive line run scheme to deal with the pass game concepts. Um, when I got out of coaching, I wanted to stay kind of attached to football because I, I thought I would go nuts. So I started doing stuff on YouTube, um, breaking down film, watching things and, and caught on with some Gator sites and have kind of just been started the last couple of years doing Florida stuff. So um, I graduated from USF and Florida. So I'm working kind of on both those teams now. So that's good and bad. Uh, it's fun when they play well. It's not so much fun uh, when they don't. USF's not been very good, and Florida's had a couple of rough seasons in a row. So it's been a, it's been challenging, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun just to stay watching football and being able to talk football with guys like you. Yeah, and if I remember right, a connection to Kerwin Bell too, right? Yeah, I played for Kerwin in high school uh, at Ocala Trinity Catholic. Played with John Brantley. Uh, you know, uh, it was in that era when Kerwin was at Trinity. I uh, still talk with him a little bit. His son, Cade, him, and him are both at Western Carolina. They're doing a really good job there, they're really good coaches. But, yeah, talk with uh, – and then at, uh, I was at Tusculum. It uh, was my college job. I worked for Jerry Odom, who played at Florida, uh, coached at Florida, uh, huge Florida fan. Watch, would watch watched a couple games with him <laughs> once our season was over, and he was a bigger fan than anybody I've ever met. So that was pretty interesting. But uh, – yeah, so I've got some we got some Florida connections. Ricky Natia was also our receivers coach at Training Catholic. So we, oh, yeah. and David Williams was the O line coach. We had a bunch of a uh, bunch of Gator connections there. Awesome, good stuff to hear. So yeah, this episode uh, quarterback driven. We'll get into Graham Mertz, and toward the end, we'll uh, we'll we'll get toward to the end of the Jaden Rashada saga right there at Florida. Uh, of course, big episode this past weekend, kind of ex- the, the the explainer from my understanding of uh, of how it happened. Uh, and some thoughts to go along there. So most of that can be found in this episode, but or that episode. But we'll uh, we'll hit on that. But before we move forward, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You guys watching live on YouTube right now as we dive into Graham Mertz and J- Gators Breakdown Plus. I mean, Seth Seth's on there. He 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 talks. To, there there is a if you, if you don't want to deal with a lot of the the frills of college football out there, there is a football no recruiting room, and it is nothing but pure football talk. So Seth's in there a good bit, especially back in the season uh, where we've had the conversations about Graham Mertz as well uh, recently. So a lot going on there in the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. Link is in the description there. Seth pops in every now and then and talks, and that's where we'll go next. We'll talk some Graham Mertz right here and kind of going back to Seth's video I know Will, he and I have talked in the last couple of weeks, and he, he's been watching some Wisconsin film, as painful as it may be at times, uh, to, to, to look at that one. And, hey, we got it right here. So, guys, I think going – look, when Anthony Richardson left, we knew more than likely Florida was going to have to go get a transfer portal quarterback. And, and who was that going to be? You know, the, the Hartmans and the McCalls of the world, and now recently Walker Howard, of course, and he commits to Ole Miss uh, today. But, you know, what – transfer quarterback what was Florida going to get when Anthony Richardson decided to transfer and my thing was not even looking at names is what do I want in a quarterback through the transfer portal or any quarterback actually but you know the way uh, the only way Florida was going to get what I was looking for in a quarterback was probably through the transfer portal and that was you know how are they going to improve the team in 2023 
Can the quarterback take care of the ball? Can he make up for a retooled offensive line? The running game may take a step back because of that. And can he make up for a defense that still needs to prove a lot and take a huge leap? You know, and I think the the initial question, I mean, those are the initial questions I had. And then you know, Graham Mertz commits to Florida as a transfer portal quarterback. And I think you know, taking those parameters into in, in, into mind. That's where it kind of falls short for me. I don't know, and it's still a question, but can he make up for a retooled offensive line? And that defense, they, three years in a row now, and last year was the worst of that stretch in some ways. You know, is he the quarterback that can come in and make up for some of those team deficiencies? I think that's going to be the question, right? I mean, I, I think most of us, most of us, if you'd have asked us if Mertz was good enough in front from a transfer portal perspective, right as the season was ending, we all would have said no, right? I mean, we would have said that's a guy that you're bringing in to essentially fill the Jack Miller role, where you've got somebody better like Anthony Richardson in front of him, or somebody who's at least got a better better upside. Um, I think that's the thing that maybe disturbs people about Mertz is after three years in college, you pretty much know what he is. And the question then is, well, are by surrounding him with better talent, better coaching, those sorts of things, can he stay, take a step forward? But I don't think anybody expects him to take this monumental step forward. So what you're looking at right now with his with his with his um, statistical profile is a guy who basically has the exact same t- statistical profile as Anthony Richardson had in 2022, but he doesn't run the ball at all. And so you know that that. That level of inconsistency, I think, is going to be something that people get frustrated with with a guy like Mertz. Now, I mean, look, you look at the quarterback room right now. You got Jack Miller. You got Max Brown. You got Graham Mertz. So there's a possibility and hopefully a distinct possibility that, uh, you know, there's going to be more competition in that room by the time Mert- or by the time uh, fall camp comes around. But, uh, you know, I look at the statistical profile and sort of go, he is what he is. And, you know, I, I think in some ways we know what we're getting where it's uh, – there is a floor. I don't know how high it is, but I suspect the ceiling is probably pretty limited. Seth, a three-year starter here for Mertz, plenty of experience, uh, 32 starts, uh, 2,075 career snaps, uh, finished this past season, uh, the 2022 season, with a career high, 2,136 passing yards, 57% completion percentage, uh, 10 scores, 11 picks in 2021, Improved that touchdown to interception ratio this past year. 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions with, uh, I believe you pointed it out, but should be pointed out again on what his third straight different offensive coordinator. Uh, also a season where Paul Chris was fired and, you know, you're going through a, a tumultuous coaching change uh, in this last season where he did improve a bit, you know, th- those interceptions going down. 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I had that Northwestern game, 299 yards in that game, five touchdowns, 20 to 29, 42 to seven win for that was that was the highlight. Mm. Uh, but you know, finished the 2021 season, uh, 19, you know, 1019, uh, 1958 yards passing. Um, took over in 2020, the COVID season, of course. So you weigh that maybe just a bit different uh, as well. Comes to Florida, two years of eligibility left. Um, you know, 38 touchdowns, 34 games. Uh, for Graham Mertz, you know, the statistical profile, you know, the, as Will said, it, it doesn't, if you want to just look at stats, it doesn't scream, you know, instant impact going to make Florida an instant contender type of quarterback. No, I, what I thought was really interesting when looking into Mertz a little bit deeper um, was that he picked Wisconsin at all. It, it was kind of a, 
an odd choice when you go back and kind of see. So reading up on him, they said he was never under center in, in high school. Uh, and obviously he was a four-star quarterback coming out of high school, uh, lit up the All-American game. So he, he he had a lot of buzz and he had a lot of big offers, but he'd never been under center in high school. It was purely shotgun. Uh, and they said he struggled with that at Wisconsin, but he wanted to go to Wisconsin to try to get himself you know, pro-ready. But uh, he may not have understood how quickly the pro game was going to change, and it's not looking like Wisconsin anymore. So uh, it seemed like an odd match from the get-go. He, he started off really well. I think he completed like his first 22 passes in, as was the starter against Illinois in the COVID year. had a great game. He has flashes of really good stuff, but he does not have that consistency um, and some of it, you know, you're, you're hoping some of it is supporting cast. Some of it is play calling issues. I really think they did a poor job uh, playing to his strengths. They just kind of played how they played forever. And I think you've got some numbers to kind of back that up. They just said, this is how we play. We're going to play regardless of whether it's successful or not. Uh, but they didn't really help him a ton. But he also, you know, he, I think he probably could have done some more to help them. But they really could have helped him out with a better kind of better supporting cast. This was not a this was not a typical uh, Wisconsin offensive line group that you think of. We're going to be able to roll people off the line of scrimmage and run the ball and pass protect. They were not very good up front. Uh, Florida's better than them up front, I would think. I would imagine Florida's receivers will be better. So he'll have a better supporting cast. I think what Florida does fits him better than what Wisconsin does. But he's shown so much inconsistency. Like Will said, I don't. You don't know how much of a jump he can make, even with a better situation. You know, I think the 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 high end is you got a guy with some skill. Uh, he's got you know the the phrase everyone loves. He's got the arm. He's got arm talent. Uh, he can spin it. He he tries to make throws with anticipation. He tries to do some kind of next level things. But then there are times where he's just wildly inaccurate. And, and is that because his footwork's suffering because the offensive line's so bad he's trying to move around? And, you know, it's, it's, there's a bunch of factors that go into this. It's hard to really tell until you get to see him in person. So um, it'll be interesting. But he, he's definitely – I think he's got some skills that you can win with, but then his consistency is just not there to, for you to feel really great about that week to week. You know, early early returns have been okay. You know, asking around Gainesville a bit, uh, the, the visit that he had to to, to Florida, and that, that kind of surprised everybody when you know there was a big visit weekend for Florida, but then all of a sudden Graham Mertz pops up. I think on Instagram, hey, I'm in the swamp, and it's like, okay, well, there's a big surprise there, and he ends up committing to Florida. But I was told almost right away that the staff was kind of sold on Mertz uh, for, for, from the get go when he visits. You know, just uh, his his mindset uh, and you know his his, his football acumen. Uh, there, you know, and now you hope that kind of does turn the page where that acumen does lead to less interceptions and bigger plays and more consistency, uh, like you said. But and then now also just you know throwing in his own time uh, with the wide receivers on their own time as well. Uh, you know, in, in the last few weeks, I've I've heard um, kind of building the rapport there uh, with those uh, those Gators wide receivers. So. You know, I guess we'll, we'll probably go recently. I, I did find uh, NFL um, a draft scouting report. Uh, for for Graham Mertz and pros and cons, and uh, by Damian Parson and the pro was Graham Mertz NFL build measurements uh, to fit the pocket passer prototype can operate an offense with a solid level of effectiveness. Effectiveness he presents as a game manager that finds success in the short, quick passing game. Uh, Mertz throws with solid zip velocity along with good touch when needed. 
a, he is a smart and anticipatory deep ball passer. Uh, there are some flashes of high end accuracy and big throws on tape, but only flashes. <laughs> and that's what, and so it's kind of going to uh, what you guys were speaking about. And definitely, Seth, and in your video, you, you show it good. But here we go the cons. Graham Mertz has not displayed the ability to put the passing game for the Badgers on his shoulders. From a physical traits and tools standpoint, he is limited. And as I alluded to earlier, Mertz is a pocket passer that lacks above average mobility as a rushing threat. The inability to create or extend plays with his leg limits his overall effectiveness from an NFL prospect. His game fits a run-first heavy offense that incorporates quick passes and downfield shots off play action. Yeah, that sounds like the Florida offense. Uh, at this moment, his trajectory is pointed towards the NFL backup rather than a starter. Um, so I, I think that's where I want to go, part of you know, looking at Wisconsin. Graham Mertz has not displayed the ability to put the passing game for the Badgers on his shoulders. And you would think, you know, going in what we think of a Wisconsin offense, it is run heavy. So shouldn't that open up the passing game a bit? Well, maybe not so, because I've got to give him a shout out. JP Gator um, on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord uh, shares, and he went back and, and shared this uh, stat, which was kind of interesting. Uh, and yeah, the, the run productivity of Wisconsin has certainly changed uh, over, over the years. And the running game took a big step back after running back Jonathan Taylor left the program for Wisconsin, as you see there in 2008. Um, Yards per carry ranked fourth in the country, 12th in the country in 1819, and then a huge step back. Uh, not, was, not the Wisconsin we are used to seeing in 2021 uh, and 22. So before Mertz, they ranked eighth in the country in yards per carry while Mertz is on the field, dropped to 54th. And so maybe they didn't have that type of offense where you could build off of uh, a successful run game, and it makes the passing game a bit easier uh, when looking at these stats. Yeah, and and the odd thing with this year, and and I talked about a little bit in the video. So when uh, I think Paul Chris got fired before the Northwestern game, if I'm if I'm correct, up to up until the Northwestern game, they'd only attempted nine play action passes, and I think that was through five games or so, only nine all season. And Merch was six for nine on play action passes against Northwestern. They threw ten of them. He was seven for ten. So he seemed like a guy that. Is pretty good at play action, but I don't understand how you run the ball this much and don't aren't aren't just really invested in play action and RPO stuff, which is kind of what leads me to think that the offense wasn't really helping him much either. And you see, the, they're just kind of banging their heads against the wall here a little bit, uh, just kind of running the same old stuff without really uh, helping him too much. I don't think in terms of uh, scheme. Will anything to add there? Wisconsin's rushing offense. I mean, do you think he I mean, had more success? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the the question I have is, you know, a lot of times your running game is based on checks the quarterback's making at the line of scrimmage, mm -hmm. and you know, getting the getting the offensive line in a position where they can succeed. And I don't. I don't know enough about what they're trying to run right. to know that. And certainly they lost some good players up front as well. And, and, and the running back and, position and, too. And of course, Paul Chris just kind of known as that. I'm going to run the ball no matter what. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously you look at the scheme and it's tough to watch Wisconsin and, and it's hard to know exactly what they're running at the same time. That's one thing that I would look at and say, you know, is there a limitation in terms of the ability to adjust when you're up there calling checks, making sure you're running the right play in the, in the right spot, given the front and those different kinds of things. And, um, 
you know, the other thing is, this, this is the thing. I, you know how much I like high school stats, Dave, when it comes to quarterbacks. And if you look at guys who completed 60 to 63%, who came in top 100 ranked from 2015 to 2019, Mertz is in that list. And the list is Brandon Peters with Michigan, Jacob Sermon for Washington, Shea Patterson for Ole Miss, Jaquindon Jackson for Tennessee, who actually switched to a wide receiver, Dwayne Haskins for Ohio State, Jaron Williams for Miami, Emory Jones, Florida, Brady White, Arizona State, Matt Corral, Ole Miss, Graham Mertz, Wisconsin, Tua at Alabama and Tanner McKee at Stanford. Those are the guys on that list. Nobody on that list was average and then became good. Every one of them was good right away. And so that's the thing that sort of concerns me when it comes to Mertz is that these guys in this category for this particular sort of level of recruiting and based on their high school stats, I would have said Mertz has a chance to be really good. But there's some hits and misses in there that are pretty significant. And for three years now, Mertz has been a miss. And so, um, you know, that, that's my real concern when it comes to that is I look at that list and, you know, there's a lot of variation in top 100 guys, a quarterback, it's a hard position to evaluate. And you start looking at sort of when you start categorizing where Mertz sits, Mertz has been in the bottom half of those sorts of guys who are coming in, maybe even the bottom third of those guys who've come in. And so, um, you know, maybe they didn't run play action because he, especially for a guy who hasn't played under center, is he able to pick up the routes when he turns his back to the defense, come back around, find his read, go through his progressions? If he's not capable of doing that, at least on a regular basis, then he can't run play action. Um, you know, Is he taking sacks when you run play action? I don't know whether that would show up in some of the stats or in any of the film you looked at, Seth, but is he taking sacks in play action? So he's seven of nine, but you know he's also got six rushes for negative, I think, <laughs> negative 40 I think, yards. Yeah, I think at that point they'd called 12 or 11, and he threw a couple away and got sacked on one. Okay, some, so it's something not, it, to that effect. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't crazy, but you're right. Like the fact they didn't call him, maybe you know that's the other part that we really don't know in terms of calling plays. And I think you saw it at Florida last year. Why aren't they calling this? Why aren't they calling that? Yeah. How much maybe, did they trust maybe the quarterback? The guy, maybe that guy can't do it. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you don't. That's what you don't know. And like it's to get the guy on campus and kind of see. Yeah, so that uh, I'm gonna uh, a couple more stats by JP Gator on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. I mean, he really nailed this of maybe trying to find a silver lining of why Wisconsin maybe hurt <laughs> Graham Burtz here. Uh, and as I said earlier, maybe the talent at Florida uh, helps him. Maybe the, the better offensive line, uh, better receivers uh, at Florida. Because look, he did not have receiver help at, at Wisconsin <laughs> at all. Uh, and I know Seth shows that too. Not a lot of separation no. um, there. And so, but tendency stats, and this kind of goes to. Uh, maybe some of the things we were talking, uh, thinking about, but Wisconsin ran the ball 75% of the time on first down. I mean, it was a very, very predictable offense. They look, that's Wisconsin football. We know that. Uh, and, but it, it, does it do, if the run game's not there, does it do your quarterback any favors or when you run the ball 75% of the time on first down and then pass the ball? 66, 66% of the time on third down. So teams knew on third down, that pass was coming, uh, and a lot, not a lot of third down and shorts out of that. It was not third and advantageous uh, for Grant Mertz a lot of times. A very predictable offense. And look, no other team comes close on those two downs with such disparity as Wisconsin does. I mean, it is astronomical the difference of first down and third down play calls compared to some of the other teams out there for Grant Mertz and Wisconsin in this offense. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the the thing you always hear from fans and people when you're talking about terrible offense and terrible scheme is you hear, oh, it's just they keep going run, run, pass, run, run, pass. Well, Wisconsin literally 
75% run on first down, 60% run on second down, and now 66% pass on third down. It's it's uh, I, those kind of things lead me to believe that there's he can probably show some improvement now. How much? Right. You know, I, I don't know, but those kind of things, and I think you've got more numbers that uh, the percentage of his actual total mm-hmm. passes that he had to take in certain situations were in, were insane and it, it really big outliers, I think, in terms of the other quarterbacks around the country. So they put him in some tough spots. It is interesting, though, when, you again, I look at it and is it a, is it a matter of trust? Yeah. Right? Like you, you almost feel like when you have a quarterback who can spin it, when you got a guy who you really trust – it, like those are usually the times where the offensive coordinator is talking about like making sure he sticks to the running game. <laughs> like, you know, he, he wants to get it in the quarterback's hands. And so making sure you stick to that running game and that you're not just dropping back and going three and out with, with, you know, three incompletions and those sorts of things. It's like the challenge for the offensive coordinator. In this case, I'm looking at it going, if I have a guy who I truly believe in, there's no way I'm throwing at 75% or running at 75% mm. of the time on first down, regardless of what my philosophy is and those sorts of things. I'm going to find a way to get the ball into, into my best player's hands. Now, look, I mean, there's a reason why the staff isn't there at Wisconsin anymore. And, <laughs> and so potentially that's it's not. It's not uh, Mertz's fault, but you know, again, I, I look at it, and if you've got an elite quarterback, that guy usually finds a way to flash, and you're not gonna like just it, it's coaching malpractice to to only let him throw 25 percent of the time on first down. Um, again, maybe that's why the staff's gone, but I still sort again, it's the same thing with play action, right? Like, you know, how much of it, and this is one of the questions we're going to get answered if he ends up on the field of Florida, is how much of it was coaching malpractice and how much of it is Mertz and some of the limitations that he has. Yeah, throwing up this new chart right here, if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening along here, only 29% of his attempts were on first down. So they did they just did not pass the ball uh, with Graham Mertz on first down. And look, that was a 63% completion percentage uh, of throwing the ball 29% of the time on first down. We're at the 63% completion percentage. And as you can see, no other quarterback on this list comes close to that. Not at all. Most of his throws were you know very predictable on third down. Uh, 34% of his throws were on third down with only a 52% completion percentage. And, I mean, you compare it to Anthony Richardson uh, from from Florida last year. I mean, Graham Mertz attempted 82 passes on first down. Anthony Richardson, 130. Uh, So, Richardson, 40% of his passes were on first down and compared that to Graham Mertz at 29%. So, Throwing early uh, in in down situations there for for, for Florida and Anthony Richardson as a comparison, but – you know, kind of to put it all together, um, the average for non-Mertz attempts on first down, 42%. Uh, and he's at sitting at 29% of throwing on first down. Other quarterbacks, 42%. I mean, this is not even comparison. You start comparing him to Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Jordan Travis, Max Duggan, Anthony Richardson, Michael Pratt. I mean, it's, it's way down. It's not even close to anybody else. Yeah, and, and the fact that it's you know ten percent of his overall attempts are on third and third and ten plus. It's like good luck. Yeah, <laughs> they know <laughs> you want like the ultimate passing down. Hey, there's going to be ten percent of your attempts. So it's it was, um, but like Will said, maybe this is a you know maybe this is you know maybe he's got a part to play in this in terms of what he could do or what he could handle. Uh, but you know, just comparing him to Richardson, 
it's not like Richardson lit up the world on first down. Mm-hmm. 53% completion percentage on, on first down. And I know his numbers, like in terms of EPA and things like that, by down, first down, he was pretty poor. Uh, so, but you have to have some semblance of balance to keep people guessing a little bit and, and give your guys a chance. So, uh, just that comparison, I think, sh- shows that even if a guy's not performing great, you still probably got to do a little bit more than, uh, you know, twenty five percent passing on a on the first down. It'd be different yeah. if it was second and four, right? But but based on the based on the rushing numbers you showed, most of the time it was second yeah. and seven. And I bet if you go back and look at, and this is the thing: is yards per carry is is an interesting stat, and over the course of a year, really does tend to even out. But one of the things I found last year when I was looking at different games that the Gators were playing is that there were teams that got beat a lot behind the line of scrimmage, and so wound up in second and twelve an awful lot. And they may hit a few big plays in order, yeah. And then you go, oh, they're middle of the pack in terms of their ability to run the ball. But that's not, but it was very much, uh, you know, it was very much feast or famine. You know, Florida's entire offense was like that, but but there were other teams specifically i think it was texas a&m was the one that i really sort of targeted in on in terms of this they had an unbelievable number of sacks and tackles for loss and we saw that play out in the florida game where where florida was able to put them especially in the second half in positions where they were having to throw against um you know in those second and 12 third and 12 type downs and so you know i think that's one of the things that maybe is would be an interesting thing to go back and look at for wisconsin is understanding how often they were actually getting stopped behind the line of scrimmage and putting him in those rough situations but it couldn't have been that much because the, the, the throwing percentage on second down wasn't that much higher there. It was basically the, they let him – go ahead. That's the uh, – some guys are just like, it's, it's second and long. I've got to try to get something back, so we'll run again on second and long. I think yeah. Napier found that trap a little bit last year he at did. times. Uh, just got to get – try to get back to manageable third down situations. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> 60, 75 to 60 is still uh, – it's still pretty – that's a lot of rushing. Yeah, as we and as as we saw it back here, going back to they were 45th in the country in, in yards per carry uh, there, so not your typical Wisconsin offense. Uh, if you're going to if you're going to build your offense on a run game, you know you hope you help pitcher you help your quarterback a bit more there. Put it this way, Dave. Before we came on, I was joking that JP Gator, if he actually charted all these things, probably needs an antidepressant now that he's watched that <laughs> Wisconsin offense for that long. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get into it too. Uh, more of uh, basically, you know, what Seth saw on film. I got some questions too. Uh, I think we can pose uh, for for Graham Mertz and you know, maybe how uh, he fits into uh, this Gator offense. I want to go back also uh, on the other side of this in just a second. I'm going to go back to his high school uh, profile as well, uh, and we can kind of maybe compare uh, to what we saw uh, in the you know in in in, in Seth's uh, film session uh, that he put up last week on his. Channel, uh, Varnador Films, right, Seth? That's yep, Varnador yep. Films. Yep. yep. So, all right, we'll get all of that. But first, hey, it is NFL playoff action time, and no other way to make it more fun than with my bookie. Whether you bet to earn or make the games more exciting, my bookie gives you the most for your money with a redesigned deposit bonus. Just use promo code Gators on the deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus of up 200 bucks instantly to your MyBookie account. Using this bonus is simple. Bet your deposit amount just once, and you're ready to cash out. It's no strings attached with MyBookie. NFL playoff action for the next few weeks, all the UFC fights, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly online blackjack tournaments. With so many brands and sports to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and win, like MyBookie. 
bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, so yeah, I'm going to go back. So he was a four-star, Graham Mertz, four-star, 65th overall prospect in the class of 2019. Uh, his high school profile from 24-7 Sports, Charles Power, average to slightly above average height with room to fill out over 220. Uh, once he gets in the college strength program, a decent athlete in terms of short area, reactive quickness, but isn't going to blow you away. Polished Packer who uh, polished pocket passer who throws a pretty – and catchable ball, clean throwing motion and mechanics, good arm strength, can change speed depending on the situation. Done a nice job limiting turnovers. Well, that didn't translate very well. Uh, doesn't consistently dominate uh, Kansas competition to the degree you'd like to see him from a top prospect and can continue to improve accuracy on a play-to-play basis. Another, <laughs> there's something that they saw as a high school prospect that carried over uh, into his college career. Uh, is limited and unproductive as a runner and should post better rushing totals given the competition level, uh, projects as a multi-year power five starter with the ability to win games when supplemented by a strong run game. Well, look at there. Uh, projects selected uh, in or near the fifth round in the NFL draft. So that was back in 2019. Uh, and Seth, I, I think going through what I've watched of him and going through uh, your film review a bit uh, – there, there were just some poor mechanics there. Held the ball too long um, and just really made wrong, often failed to make the right read consistently. Uh, and one thing that caught me and that, that worries me a bit is some of those interceptions came with a clean pocket. There, were, there was no pressure in his face. There were just some of just bad decisions. Uh, maybe like he just felt forced to make a play. That's kind of where I'm hoping and he can maybe get over that uh, in, in a change of offense, just force some throws. Got happy feet for no reason, choppy footwork, uh, some off-balance throws, off-platform throws, and that really led to – if it didn't lead to interceptions, the ball would just sell on him a bit. Yeah, I think he kind of got – he started, I think he started seeing ghosts a little bit during the year. It seemed like you had uh, – you had he got pressured a ton. And there are some – you'll see some throws on there where he'll, he'll sit in with guys around his feet and guys around his legs with pressure, and he'll make a great throw. And then you'll see times where – there's not a ton of pressure. He can move maybe if he just moved a little bit in the pocket, worked the pocket a little bit, he could get a clean throw. He tries to work the pocket, and then he throws it before he gets his feet set again. So he's kind of forcing himself to throw off platform, uh, which is not what you want to be doing. You, you, that's like the big new thing, guys that can throw off platform. But you only want to do that if you have to. You don't want to just be throwing off platform back. There are very few guys can make a living doing that. So um, – yeah, I, I thought he, he flashed some good stuff, I thought, but there were times where in the pocket, I think he started to see ghosts a little bit. He's There was a few times where he was late with the ball, and he got away with it one time, and then he tried to come back to it against Iowa, and they, they pick-sixed him. Uh, and then he comes back a couple of drives later, he's getting hit in the legs and hits a guy uh, down the field for a touchdown. So, you know, he, he's an interesting case study just because he's so – there's flashes of really good stuff. There's throws into tight windows against Ohio State that receivers drop. There's there's throws, you know, where he anticipates the guy breaking where the guy's going to be before he even make comes out of his break and he makes a throw because he's about to be hit and he completes it. There's a couple examples of that against Iowa. And there's also examples of where he looks like he has a clean pocket, that guy's coming open and he just totally misses. So those are the things that kind of make you scratch your head. And then the turnovers and things like that, you know, you can't have it. I know early in the year he was doing a really good job. Yeah. And then towards the end of the year, it kind of it kind of fell off 
fell off a little bit and uh, and, and got to that double-digit interception number. But, you know, he's – I as a coach, you can see and you'll, you'll see every coach thinks they can coach better than the last guy that had him. That's kind of – they may not say it, but everyone's like, I can fix him. I can. <laughs> so you can kind of see – Okay, hey, I see. The, I see what the, there's. The, I see the, the Dan high. Mullen, yeah, the Dan Mullen, Felipe Franks effect. Instead of going yeah. to Kyle Trask, you know, I, I I'm going to fix, fix this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can fix him. I, that guy just didn't know anything. Yeah. So there's. I'm sure you you watch him and and you can see the the good. There is good. It's not like I think he gets a bad rap uh, and got gets blamed for a lot of the issues at Wisconsin because um, he was so highly regarded coming in, had a ton of hype, and obviously didn't live up to it. So I think he got a lot of blame at Wisconsin. Maybe wasn't all his. He does some good stuff. You know, if you ask Wisconsin, it's like, oh, he's terrible. He's not. He's not terrible. He does some good things, but the bad can with turn, turning the ball over and things like that. That can really just, as we saw last year, you know, if you turn the ball over, that can wipe out all the good you do really quickly. So that's the consistency with him is the biggest thing. And three years in, can you become consistent? That quarterback, I don't know. That's the tough part. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting on a couple of levels based on sort of what you showed in the video and and looking at his stats. One is Florida's remaking their offensive line, and so we don't necessarily know whether this offensive line. You, you look at Anthony Richardson this year, and, and he did. You know, I think he bailed them out quite a bit. But that was an offensive line that had a, quite a bit of continuity. The whole left side, you know, Garage White and Egwican were all back. Right, and then you were replacing Stuart Reese and uh, and Gene Delance on the right hand side, which are guys I think we kind of wanted to see replaced at that point. And you replaced him with a first round draft pick yeah. in Osiris Torrance, and then Tarquin and and uh, uh, Barber were pretty good over there. So now you got Barber, who was all SEC freshman. You got Egwakin and Mazuka now. Mazuka is going to start, uh, but Mazuka needs to be good. George needs to be good. The transfer from Alabama, Cameron Waits is going to have to be good if they shift him out to tackle. Like, uh, there's a lot of questions on the offensive line, and there's not a quarterback. It's if Mertz is a quarterback, he's not capable of bailing out an offensive line the way that uh, the, the way that Anthony Richardson was, or even Emory Jones two years ago was. So that's the first thing with all the off-platform throws, seeing ghosts. He's still going to see ghosts right. <laughs> with the offensive line. There are going to be times where these young guys, you know, guys like. Jalen Farmer and Christian Williams and Roderick Kearney and Bryce Lovett are going to be fighting for that other spot at guard. I don't think a true freshman is going to come into the SEC against LSU and Georgia and and you know the, the Kentucky even and be able to hold up all game long. At some point, the quarterback's going to get hit. There's going to get a guy free, and the question is, are you going to stand in there, take the hit, and and make the throw, or you know, are you going to be throwing off platform and be inaccurate? That's the first thing. The second thing is, I think it's really interesting. I think this is sort of the Will Levis. Uh, um, the Will Levis syndrome in some respects, which is that when you see a guy throw into tight windows, you immediately go, oh, that's a fantastic throw. And in the NFL, you actually do have to throw into tight windows. Mm -hmm. I think when you come back to college, especially because of the amount of time these guys have to actually spend on things, the defenses are a lot simpler. And when you look at the quarterbacks who truly excel, how often do they hit guys who are just running wide open? Like if you watch CJ Stroud against Georgia, it felt like he was hitting guys who were just <laughs> wide open the whole game. And that's a, I mean, that's a quarterback who's going to the right spot with the ball. He's finding the one-on-one -on -one battle, and the one-on-one -on -one battle is being won by a guy who's physically superior. I think when I took a look at the Wisconsin tape, and I don't know what you think about this, Seth, but when I took a look at the Wisconsin tape, 
I didn't necessarily see the ball always going to the place where there was a one-on-one battle, even if the Wisconsin receiver didn't win it. I didn't always see it going to that spot. And I think if you have a quarterback who's continuously fitting it into tight windows, that's usually a reflection of a guy who, one, is going to turn the ball over at inopportune times, but two, isn't necessarily getting all the way through his progressions to the right spot in order to make it the easy throw rather than having to fit it in into a spot where you got to make a fantastic physical throw, but there's an easier throw out there on the field. Yeah. I said before you jump in, I think it could be said that I, I think he maybe relied on that first read too much and didn't want to come off of it. That's the, that's what Wisconsin people, that's one of their big complaints. If you read them, that he's a stare down the first read, but yeah, but I, I there were times, and the first to Will's first point, I, I, somebody put out today. I, I don't remember exactly who it was, so I apologize. But uh, average time to throw and mm. average distance thrown. Right, Richardson was one of the highest in terms of average time to throw. I think some of that was based on what they did with him. There a lot of shots down the field, a lot of the intermediate. They didn't throw a lot of quick game with him, a lot mm. of RPO, a lot of screen stuff. Um, so that he did have to kind of he did have to kind of avoid that rush a little bit sometimes and help out the offensive line, which he did a ton. And I think that was kind of an underrated aspect of his game is how much he got out of sacks himself. Uh, but I, you know, that's what I'll be interested to see. How does it change with Murph? Do they do more quick game stuff, do they more screens, more RPO stuff that's a little quicker. Uh, but you know, to your second point, does he see it fast enough? Does he process it quick enough? I don't know. There were times I know just thinking back, there's, there's a throw against Iowa, where he fits, he tries to throw the 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 intermediate guy on a flood concept, and he's got a guy in the flat that's open, and he just tries to th- he throws in the intermediate guy, anyways. And there's four dudes there, it falls incomplete. Um, but you know, I, I think there was some of that definitely where he he, he kind of locked on, but there was also a lot of you know to if a point in his favor, I thought really not, but they were in so many third and longs and they'd, they'd be in third and seven, third and six, and they'd be running 15 yard comebacks and he'd have to wait for these things to come open. And that's all that they're called both sides, 15 yard comebacks. It's like, it's third and six. You don't have anything else. <laughs> there are so many times where he's needs to throw the ball and nobody, no receiver has their back turned yet. Um, and they're not getting, they weren't getting a ton of separation either, but there were times you could see him bypass open guys to try to make the big time throw. I think that's like kind of the, the Levis thing, right? Bypass an open guy to try to make the big, great throw instead of just hitting the dude in the flat, getting five or six and, and living to play another down. So I think there's some of that, but you know, is, is some of that, if I'm being devil's advocate, is some of that because, you know, I gotta feel like I gotta pick up the first down, or I I I gotta I gotta feel like I gotta make a play here instead of just making the smart play. Um, I don't know, but you know there there were times I felt like they hung him out to dry a little bit, especially on third down when it's it's literally third and seven, and the guy's running the twenty back to fifteen comeback on the outside, and he's just waiting for him to get there for about three seconds, and he's getting smoked. So yeah, there's uh there's some there's some it's going to be interesting to see how to separate last year's scheme from just the coaches got fired. They didn't do a good job versus this is all he could handle. Um, and I, I don't know which it is. There were definitely times like, like you said, well, that he, he would bypass guys. So is he just not, you know, is he's trying to make the most of the opportunity he has, is he has limited opportunities or is he just not seeing it that well? 
Yeah, Seth, you did a good job too of pointing out some 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 positive there of how he would throw guys before they would turn. Like when he did yeah. have time and the route called for it, and he did have time to you know to hit that 12, 15, 20-yard route of, hey, look, the guy has not even turned his back yet. And as soon as his whips his head around, the ball's right on him. And, you know, it's a it's a good throw, it's a good catch and you know, big 20, 25 yard gain uh there for Wisconsin. And you you pointed that out a good bit there in, in, in that review. I thought he tried to do that quite a bit going through games, even when he'd miss, there there were times where he'd miss where he was trying to anticipate it. He wasn't trying to wait till the guy came open. He was trying he kind of knew where he was going to be. He knew that he should be the open guy. Uh, against Iowa, he had a couple really nice ones. You can see it if you go back and watch it. The the guy is not even the guy has not turned at all. He's still in his break, and the ball is already thrown. He comes out of his break, and the ball is there. Uh, a couple times with a guy draped all over him, the ball is still in a pretty good spot. But there's also a time against Northwestern where he should be. He tries to anticipate what's probably a post route, and instead of throwing to the middle of the field, he throws it really vertical, and he misses what should be a touchdown. So. I think he was trying to do the next level things like anticipate, get the ball out of, get your last step, get the ball out. You work with good timing, uh, but his accuracy let him down sometimes on those. And that's where you're, you're kind of like, okay, that's good, but that's not a, that's not a great throw here. So it's kind of the good and the bad. It's kind of uh, really kind of him and summed up in one play is some yeah, good I, stuff and then some bad. Yeah. And went back and look too. Go ahead, Will. Well, I was just going to say, it's funny because the first thing I thought when they brought in Mertz was, before I'd really even looked at his profile, was we just secured a floor and we're going to get a lot more consistency, but there isn't going to be a whole lot of upside. And what I think we've seen you know, through Seth's video and also through the statistical profile and that sort of stuff is there actually is probably some upside from an explosion standpoint, but that the inconsistency that we saw last year with Anthony Richardson is still going to be there with Graham Mertz. I just sort of assumed that when you went with a low ceiling guy, you were going to try to get rid like the whole reason for going for a guy who's lower risk is because he's lower risk that he's going to raise that floor to a point where you get consistency, where the quick game becomes something that you can run, where the intermediate routes are going to be hit when they're open, that you know, you're going to make the right read and check the ball down when you need to check the ball down. I mean, out of all the things that I thought Anthony Richardson should really struggle with last year it was when there was a back sitting there who was open for a check down who'd run for 12 to 15 yards to just get you first down he'd uncork one that 10 10 yards over ricky pearsall's head <laughs> when he'd sit there with three guys around him in a zone i'm not seeing anything that suggests that's going to necessarily change i think some of the inconsistency is still going to be there with graham mertz and it's just interesting to me that my perception of him was okay, they're bringing in someone who's going to be consistent but not have this upside. But I think what they – you know, I sort of said it at the beginning, you, you brought in Anthony Richardson without the ability to run, and that's an interesting choice. <laughs> um, so I, I did go back, you know, and I wanted to get a feel for what Wisconsin media and fans were asking themselves if Mertz could take the next step. Uh, from 21 to, to, to 22, because look, it was an ultimatum year for for Mercy Wisconsin. Uh, like he didn't really end up passing and and, and transfers to Florida. Uh, and it was worth noting, I did find out there he was without his top three pass catchers from a season ago. Jake Ferguson, Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor combined for 110 catches of 169 completions in 2021. 
they were all gone <laughs> for this past year at Wisconsin. So I did find that a bit. And then, hey, let's rewind a bit. Everybody knows how much I like those uh, anonymous coaches from the uh, the preseason magazines and what they think of uh, uh, of the Wisconsin offense heading into this past season. So it's interesting because it's very it's polarizing. It is different here. Uh, so it says new OC Bobby Ingram needs to work on quarterback consistency and find some targets. Unless they hit on some transfers, I really don't know if they have a go-to option at receiver or tight end. Uh, so it's Wisconsin. You're running the ball, but they struggle when that's all you can do and teams can't, and teams can't cheat you. They have this one very specific offensive identity, but you can't get stale. So there you go. That was uh, uh, some anonymous coaches' thoughts of Wisconsin's new offense and, and, and Graham Mertz. That was from Athlon. And Lindy's, it's a little different. It says the addition of offensive coordinator Bobby Ingram will be interesting. He's going to want to open things up on offense with a new spread attack, a far cry from their traditional power scheme. Graham Mertz will be unleashed is what one scout said uh or one opposing coach said and i I just wonder if he can reel in some of the poor decision making (laughs) Uh, as someone who put out a preseason magazine and really don't want people coming and throwing that back into my face (laughs) i sympathize with all these people who in 2023 have to uh have to relive their grab merch predictions but uh yeah i mean i think that's kind of what we're saying is that he's a, he's a polarizing prospect because you see really good things and you see things that you're like that's something that you should have figured out your freshman year and you know the combination of those two things means that there's a possibility of a breakthrough but the question is how likely is that uh go ahead seth let's say no, I just he's a guy I think that can win you games, but you you gotta keep him from losing you. He's he's one of those kind of guys that he might lose you a couple too if you're not if you're not careful that you should win. So um he's he's got the talent, I think. It's just the consistency being able to put it together. And you know, I, I think on the high end, you know, if you're looking at what's the ceiling, I think he's a guy you can win games with. He's got some talent. Maybe he comes into a better situation, makes a big improvement. He's not. He's not going to be. It's, it's going to be Joe Burrow now, but he may. Maybe he makes a big improvement, and and Florida's pretty good. The low end is he's the exact same guy you've seen for these last three years. He is what he is. He's a guy that's going to have some good games against poor competition, and he's yep. going to turtle up against really good teams, and 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 he's going to be playing better defenses in the SEC probably than he was at Wisconsin. So that's the fear, right? That's the low end is. He's not really – he is what he is, and his competition's better now. So uh, that's that's kind of – when when he was initially, a, uh, you know, a take, I thought this is a good call, get somebody in the class, but you're, you're still big game hunting for other guys. And uh, that has not turned out just yet, but, you know, there's another transfer portal coming up after spring that uh, maybe some guys will be able to graduate and get into, so. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But to, to kind of end this, how does Napier adjust with a quarterback like this? Because think about it. We've seen him lately with Levi Lewis and Anthony Richardson, very athletic, mobile quarterbacks, which Mertz is not. You know, so how, how does the offense change? You know, from what we've seen, Billy Napier, uh, his last few years at Louisiana, first year at Florida, certainly – Certainly less design quarterback runs. That, that's that's the first thing you're going to start checking off the box here. And now look, Mertz is in a statute, and they, there'll be some design runs for him. And you know, keep a defense honest, go get four or five yards. But 
Forget about that 60-yard run that just comes out of nowhere. Uh, we, we, that, that won't be part of this offense. Uh, so how does Napier adjust? Is it short passes with more accuracy, uh, you know, the slants that we saw that were missing consistently last year in this Gator offense? Hopefully those are more in play. Um, did see him compete, uh, complete a good bit of those at Wisconsin, just that, that short, quick slant in one-on-one coverage. Uh, maybe more accurate screen passes as well. I mean, I know that kind of sounds simple and easy on the surface, but you know, if you don't, you don't want a guy on a screen pass to jump up and have to you know, slow down on the screen uh, to, to, to go before he gets started uh, and so he can make a move before um, you know, he, he gets caught. You know, shotgun under center, Seth spoke to that earlier. That's probably going to be a, a change, being a, a shotgun a bit more at Florida. Um, a lack of play action at Wisconsin. I think you'll see more play action here at Florida. And then the importance of Ricky Pearsall returning as well uh, for, for this wide receiver group. I'm not sure he's had a receiver like Ricky Pearsall in his time at Wisconsin. So I just think, you know, given recent Billy Napier quarterbacks, how much does a quarterback like Graham Merch change the offense? Well, I, I thought, uh, you know, one thing he did well was he did throw on the run pretty well. He moved when he had to throw outside the pocket, they would roll him, design rollout. So I think he'll be pretty good in that aspect of it, of, of the, the boots and all those kinds of things, which are a big part of the offense. Uh, but I, I'm hoping, you know, I've been hoping really kind of since, you know, going back and looking at the passing game uh, earlier or at the end of last year, I kind of went back after the season, looked back oh, yeah. at the pass game in total. Um, the quick game stuff really got phased out after early in the season. You kind of saw some of it more, more of it early, and you didn't see a ton of it as the season went on. So maybe they just felt they weren't great at that, so they, they phased it out. I would love to see more quick game and more screen game. I think when your run game is this good, you've got to have screens built off of it, screens built off the backside of these zone runs where they can just turn and flip it out there and take advantage of people trying to fly over the top of outside zone and things like that. So that's where I'd like to see them go. I think Mertz maybe is a guy that can do that. Uh, but I, that's where I was hoping they would kind of build in year two. Is at, let's get really good at screens because those are I think those can be a big weapon with how you run the ball. RPO quick game, that kind of stuff, I think would be would, would help the offense get a lot more consistent. While they were really explosive last year and all the metrics ended up being pretty good, success rate was pretty poor. Uh, so down to down, they were not – great they they were just able to be explosive to to kind of skew some of the numbers but i think adding those kind of things will help you be a little bit better down to down and, and hopefully merch is a guy that can you know um execute that kind of stuff if he is the starting quarterback no i mean i, th- I think that sort of goes towards you know what they didn't have with jack miller in that bowl game is they he didn't have the ability to drive it downfield the same way Richardson did. And when the running game got stuffed, they didn't have anything else to go to. So I think that sort of goes to what you're talking about, Seth, in terms of being able to spread the field with the quick game, being able to say, look, ETN's a threat, but he's not the only threat. We're going to pull it. We're going to throw that RPO behind the linebacker and make sure that uh, you know that, that guy has to be honest and can't come up and creep um, and help with the running game. The reality is if you're going to drive the ball downfield, that linebacker isn't going to get downfield anyway. <laughs> so if you're the opposing defense, if they're not going to run that RPO behind you on a consistent basis, then you're just going to come up and run support the entire time. And it's going to be very difficult for the offensive line to have a numbers advantage on a consistent basis. Um, I, I think what I'd like to see is some more back shoulder throws. I think one of the things that, you know, I think shorter against Tennessee on a fourth down caught one where they just sort of threw it up and he went over the defender and he caught it. That's the only one I can really remember 
all year long where they just chucked it up and let the wide receiver get it. And how many times do we sit there where Florida's third and 14 on defense and then they get a pass interference going down the sideline because the quarterback just throws it three yards short and the cornerback runs right into the wide receiver and there's a flag. That's an effective play in, in football, you, and especially because it opens up other things, right? For if the cornerback knows that he, if he, that they're willing to throw that back shoulder throw, that they're willing to get that pass interference, well, it opens up other things in terms of your ability to be able to beat that corner out there wide. And uh, I suspect that opposing defenses are going to challenge Graham Mertz, a lot of single high safety with some man to man on the outside, and say. Jaquavian Frazier's go win, you know, or Ricky Pearsall go win, and he's going to have to throw to the outside. So they didn't do that very much last year. They missed a lot of those deep throws down the sideline long. They hit a bunch of them too, but that sort of goes to your point about success rate. You know, if you're going to take those shots, I'd like to see them sort of look, take advantage of the fact that you're going to get a lot of man to man on the outside and start putting it there a yard behind the corner and let your, let your wide receiver come back for it. Good stuff, good stuff, guys. That was, you know, that that the, that's the part I'm eager to see the most is, hey, this is a different type of quarterback than we've seen Billy Napier with and have success with. So that's the that's why another reason why it's so polarizing to me <laughs> of, of of a different style of quarterback than we've seen uh, Billy Napier have on the field. So, hey, Seth, if you got to go, I understand. I know we we stay a little bit long. We'll hit Jaden hit this Jaden Rashada topic right quick. And if you had anything you wanted to. Uh, to to add about not, uh, I've got I've got nothing. I'm gonna stay away from that situation. I've, yeah, got, I hear nothing, you, I've got nothing to stay on. That. I appreciate you having me on. Will nice yeah, getting to meet you and talk with you for a little bit. I've watched you guys uh together quite a few times. So as uh thanks for letting me jump in with you. All right. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Seth. All right, see you guys. All right, well, yeah, there we go. Won't uh won't won't bear the the next one. Of course, it's in the title of the episode uh, as well. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Seth right here. As I said, Varnador Films go into if you want to see even more uh, in depth look at Graham Mertz, the quarterback uh, from last season, and Seth's got you covered. Yeah, his stuff's uh, cool, man. Like, yeah. I learn something every time I go watch his stuff. So if you're interested in X's and O's, that's a good place to go. Absolutely. So, and yeah, well, as he, he he teased it too, I think one of his previous videos before that, where he dove into the Florida passing game at the end of the year uh, as kind of a year in review of what he'd like to see coming up for the Florida passing game. So, yeah, good stuff there by Steph. I enjoy uh, having him on Gators Breakdown when we get it. And he's on Gators Breakdown Plus talking pure football uh, in, in one of the rooms there. So, all right, Will, yeah, looks like we can put a bow on this Jaden Rashada situation, saga. Whatever you want to call it, uh, it's uh, it has been absolutely a roller coaster of a recruitment. Uh, definitely the most polarizing recruitment I have ever followed. Uh, and look, it's you know Florida's in the in, in the spotlight on you know, all the media. I mean, it's been talked about on ESPN all day and everything that's been kind of going on. Uh, and look, this is what we knew would come out of it. If you go back and listen to the uh, Jaden Rashada episode I put out over the weekend, kind of catching back everybody. Uh, catching everybody up to date on, on what the latest was at that time and not really much changed until on Tuesday evening uh, it was reported from 24-7 Sports that he was going to, going to be uh, asking for release of his letter of intent for Florida. Uh, and look, uh, we figured that was coming. Uh, we figured this wasn't going to get worked out. And, and now, you know, Florida, two year, two classes in for, for Billy Napier's recruiting classes, uh, now won't have a, a top-flight quarterback. And look, right now, if you're – 
take everything in totality. I'm not sure the headache is worth it. <laughs> it will uh, when it's all said and done. I'm not sure the, how the locker room probably felt about this. I think it was going to be a cloud over Florida. I mean, it's a cloud right now over Florida. And if Jaden Rashad was on campus in the locker room, it's going to be a cloud that at least stayed around for a little while until he got on the field and maybe uh, proved himself to, to be a good quarterback if he turned out to be um, part of this team and it didn't work out. That was the, the storyline would have continued about the NIL and the $13 million. And you really paid that much money for this kind of guy. And look, at, at least look, the initial uh, where we're at right now and the initial hit of this, it's probably not going to be a pretty look for Florida, but at least there is some resolution and hopefully it doesn't go any further than this. I don't know about any, I know the lawsuits and all that kind of stuff is being brought up. And if that could be a part of this as well, Hopefully, right now, him getting release of his letter of intent and him going to another school, hopefully will. This is the end of it. Well, I mean, so Florida hasn't made a decision to release him yet, as far right. as I know. Well, that's no, that's a good point. Either party. We haven't, we, haven't, we haven't heard from either party officially, by the way. That's, that is still the report. Yeah, so the report is he's requested his release. Florida now has an option to deny that. If they deny that, then Rashada can appeal to the NCAA and it goes before some sort of panel or something like that. I don't even know what the details of that are. Quite honestly, I don't care. But yeah. but but and and I suspect that from the standpoint of a PR perspective, they're going to have to release him from his. From That's his how I letter of intent. But but. You know, you've got some leverage. And so when it comes to, you know, I would assume there's probably some negotiations in terms of lawsuits that are associated with that, too, if there's being litigation threatened and those sorts of things as well. Again, I I don't I don't feel comfortable speaking about the specifics of what was going on because I don't necessarily have all the information. What I can say is that it's pretty clear that this is a colossal screw up by just about everybody involved that the communication between all the different channels that have to get everything organized and that have managed to do it at every other power five school in the country weren't able to do it in this case at at Florida and whatever the mechanism is to do that, that needs to be fixed. And I'm sure that there are conversations going on about fixing that, but, but that's the reality. But the side part of this is, and and this is the thing is that, you know, beyond the $13 million beyond, you know, the, whatever ends up coming out about the overall story and all that sort of stuff is the fact that Florida just lost its best recruit in Billy Napier's bump class. And now this class looks like a Dan Mullen recruiting class. And Billy Napier was hired to fix that problem. And two years in, that problem hasn't been fixed. And, you know, if you ask me today, is Billy Napier a better X's and O's coach than Dan Mullen? No. Not with what he's shown on the field. So we haven't improved. (laughs) And that's a problem. And, you know, people can talk about average player ranking and all that sort of stuff. But look, the total overall, the total player ranking of the teams that you have to play, you're, you're just as far away from Alabama and Georgia and LSU and even AM at this point, and maybe Miami than you were when Dan Mullen was here. And that was the thing that Billy Napier was brought in to fix. And irrespective of, you know, I've heard a lot of, well, it's not Napier's fault. It's his program. It's his job to bring in top level recruiting classes. And, you know, you've been warning me this whole time that it wasn't going to be a top three class. And I'm sitting there going, the state of Florida is loaded. This bump class needs to be a top three class. And you're like, I don't know, man, I don't think it's going to get there. And I mean, I don't, I don't even think this class I even went, I, up to I, what I, your I, anticipation was. Yeah, I even went to say, what well, going to be top five. You know, I just, I just, I, I never saw it, but you know, top 10. No, I, I, I did expect a top 10. 
Yeah. So I mean, look, I, I mean, part of this is, and I, I had I released an article today over at Reading Reaction that talked about this, is when Billy Napier came out and said, "I'm not going to bid for players. We're not going to get in bidding wars." He essentially told everybody who might give to a collective, "Don't bother. We don't need your money." And when Nick Saban needed money, what did he do? He went out and he accused Texas A&M of buying players. <laughs> and the message to the Alabama boosters and supporters was clear. We need funds to compete. And if you're going to, from a strategic vision perspective, if you're going to say, we're not going to get into bidding wars, then there's two things. One, you've just kneecapped your, your fundraisers. And two, <laughs> you better not get into bidding wars and lose on the back end. And, uh, you know, the way this class has, has, has materialized on the end, you know, you look at Cormani McLean, you look at Okalola, you look at Rashada now, all these different things. Um, there just has not been the ability to execute and close in a way that indicates that everything is moving in lockstep and that there's clear communication between all channels. And look, I get it that from a legal perspective, you can't necessarily say, I want Jaden Rashada, give him X. But what you can do is communicate to the third party entities that are that are going to execute these sorts of things how you value players not specific players but yeah. how you value players how you want to build your roster and what that roster construction is going to look like along with assuming which players you're going to build relationships with and you know again i think the rashada part of it, it it's it's sort of like when when you see something uh, it, it's a symptom right and the question is is the rashada thing an isolated incident or is it a symptom of a broader disease that needs um, that needs more specific attention than just hey this one had this specific screw up and so this is how the thing turned out? It's you know it is is it possible that this sort of thing happens again or has the root cause been identified and will it be taken care of and not happen again and will things improve? We'll see, right? I mean we'll see. Obviously the 2024 class is off to a much better start than the 2023 class got off to, and I think there's an opportunity to supplement that class with elite talent. And next year we're talking about an elite level recruiting class and all those questions that we're asking about Billy Napier, about Scott Strickland, about the program in general go away. But, you know, I remember after his transition class where he had, where he had the opportunity to close on guys like Carol Perkins and Jacoby Matthews who wound up going to LSU and Texas A&M, that what I wrote was, it's not that Napier can't recruit, it's that there's still questions about mm -hmm. whether he's going to be able to fix the problem that Dan Mullen left behind. And I think we're in the same spot right now where it's not a question of can he do it, it's just there are still questions about whether he can do it. And considering that the thing that you need to do to compete in this conference, and it's incredibly clear, is recruited at an elite level, there are questions about whether that can be done. And I don't blame fans for looking at it and saying, you came in saying this is a talent acquisition business. That's the expectations that you deliver on that. And as of right now, the Rashada aspect, like I said, I think is more a symptom of the overall discontent with what we're seeing. I mean, we just watched Georgia win two straight national titles and it's tied into the, the behemoth that Kirby's built there from a recruiting perspective. And Florida knows, or the Florida fans know that that's what they're going to have to do to compete. Yep, said it last week on, on that Rashad episode. We everybody's got to be marching in the same direction. I mean, there, there can't be no matter what the situation is anymore and whose fault it is. Everybody needs to be moving in the same direction moving forward. That's the only way you're going to fix this. It's the only way you're going to get the talent. Uh, the, everybody on the same page to go get the talent. We know what college football recruiting is now. Uh, whether you, you gotta just, uh, people got to decide <laughs> how they want Florida uh, to, to attack this moving forward. I think there's some things going on behind the scenes, getting some people on the same page uh, and, and, and moving this thing forward. But that's all talk till we see some action. And look, as, as we said, you, we, there, there is a clear path uh, in, in this conference 
to winning games, to winning championships, and, and it is recruiting in the recruiting trail. And the other, the, the other way, the other way is quarterback. And Billy Napier hasn't brought one in yet. Now we, I, I'm still excited for DJ Lagway. That is on the horizon. And but look, that's still another year or so away, possibly. Uh, and then are you, know, you playing him as a true freshman? How impactful is that? So we still could be a couple few years away before we even see the impact of one DJ Lagway and him turning it and turning this into a, a, a program and, and, and a team that can go win ball games uh, week in and week out. So the question, as Will said, is still going to remain with the way the recruiting has been so far and the way specifically quarterback recruiting has gone so far. I mean, look, the most important position on the field right now has Jack Miller, Max Brown, and Graham Mertz in the room. I think you look at where the quarterback room was last year, and you look at where the quarterback room is right now, and you say, eh, I'm concerned. Um, and you look at the overall talent. You mentioned it earlier in the episode while Seth was still on about Florida's defense. There are massive questions there about what Florida's defense can do, considering that you know we thought that the upgrade from Todd Grantham to Patrick Tony was going to be worth a significant improvement, and with many, many of the same players, it took a major step back. And you know, so again, I. I think Billy Napier is going to win a bunch of games in Florida. I think you know you look at like teams like Auburn, teams like uh, you know teams like Michigan, even in some respects, recruit at this general same type of level. But Michigan had some really down years when they couldn't find a quarterback. They brought in Shea Patterson as a transfer. I think <laughs> I even mentioned him earlier as somebody who kind of profiles the same way as Mertz. And you know the Harbaugh barely held on. Right, he wound up having to take a pay cut after 2020, and then comes back, and all of a sudden, Michigan was able to take a, a major step forward and beat Ohio State and get that Ohio State monkey off their back. But then, uh, getting the playoff, a unsuccessful in the semifinal game the last couple of years when they've had to play teams that are that are fully put together. So, um, look with with things expanding to 12 teams, there's going to be more shots um, in the SEC. There's going to be an opportunity to get into those spaces. I think that'll probably bring a little bit of relief when it comes to the pressure that's associated with recruiting. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned it that there. I mean, I don't buy the Clemson build from the standpoint of finding those elite quarterbacks and sort of, you know, I, I think there's more to it than that. I think it's conference dependent in many ways where Florida state was the only team that was recruiting above them in the ACC, which meant when Florida state fell apart, when the whole Jimbo thing fell apart, um, that left an opening for Clemson to jump up, even though they maybe didn't have the same level of talent. But I also think it helped to have Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence in there as well. And you know, when you get an opportunity, you better have that level of elite quarterback in there. So not only are we looking at the rankings going, uh, the rankings aren't great last year and this year in terms of where Florida is, but you're also looking at it and saying there's no heir apparent. And so Graham Mertz, I think, from a from a pickup perspective, if Rashada is in the fold, is actually a perfectly fine pickup from the mm -hmm. standpoint of the logic is, hey, maybe he starts the year against Utah and you slowly phase Rashada in. And if Rashada shows that he's ready to go, similarly, similarly to like Trevor Lawrence in the year that he replaced Kelly Bryant, well, hey, that's the way it goes. And all of a sudden, now you've got an exciting true freshman out there getting real game reps in the SEC that freshman year. Unless that's Max Brown, you can't do that, right? Now you're going with the guys you've got in there. Or if you're bringing in somebody else in the portal. But again, that's a Band-Aid, right? Like the portal quarterback is a Band-Aid. And in many ways, bringing in a quarterback in the portal, you need to have the support around him 
if you're going to make a run. Like Russell Wilson going to Wisconsin from NC State made a lot of sense because Wisconsin was set to make a run and needed a quarterback at that position. Um, you see the same thing with Joe Burrow going to LSU. LSU had a lot of talent around him, and we saw it right after that 2019 year where, where Burrow was really, really good, and and they win the national championship. Like half that team got drafted in the NFL. <laughs> um, half this team right now, you can't project um, – getting drafted in the NFL. And so a transfer quarterback, I think it's going to struggle in many respects. This is a build. And the question mm-hmm. is, how do you build? And having that quarterback there, I think gave some confidence that we were going to be able to build that way. Now that he's not in the fold, well, like you said, wait until 2024 for DJ Lagway and just sort of trying to paper over the holes until then. And that's not necessarily an, ex- it's not, and it's not an incredibly comfortable place to be is maybe the best way to say it. Well, what it is, is it's, it's it's patience. Um, that's what it is. we're going to have to express. That I'm still a believer in Billy Napier. I like Billy Napier as Gators head coach, but at the same time, there's got to be some patience involved before you know. I think we can ultimately say um, yeah, how how this is going to turn out. You know, not off to a good start, uh, and the first couple of recruiting classes. You know, I, I think can make the team better, uh, but they're yeah, it's definitely not going to put the team where we want it to be ultimately. So we're going to have to show some patience involved. I like a lot of the class. I like a lot of the top of the class uh, there for the Gators. I think they got some really good players in this class. But when you start comparing it to Alabama, Georgia, and all that, yeah, we know that's a step behind. Uh, at least will <laughs> on the surface. Hey, can can Billy Napier coach this recruiting class up to its potential? And if that's the case, Florida's going to win a lot of ball games, like you said, coming up. But I think you know, for us to get to that next step, then we know what the next step is off the field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Dan Mullen won a lot of ball games. Um, Dan Mullen didn't beat Georgia, <laughs> and so you know, at the end of the day, that's why a decision was made to change. There were other things too, obviously, but you know, the thing that can the thing that would convince anyone that it's time to sort of pull the plug is that you looked at the recruiting classes and they just sort of leveled out. They were the same every year. Um, This is an improvement on last year's recruiting class, but last year's transition class was pretty underwhelming. If they make the same jump from this class to the next class in terms of average player ranking and points, hey, now you're moving in the right direction. Is there an opportunity to build that way? Sure. What I would say is that that has not been the traditional build in the SEC. Uh, Bill Sykes wrote a really good article for Read Reaction four or five years ago where he looked at the average bump class of the second class class for uh for sec championship coaches and the average recruiting ranking was like fourth and they all they averaged like 2.75 stars and you know that you looked at the guys who contributed to those sec championship games and almost always those 2.75 stars were guys who were like high high level contributors to those teams that wound up winning sec championships so it's just like i said a few years ago it's like dan mullen's running an experiment and the experiment is, is that he's going to be able to take these classes that are lower ranked than than the than the contemporaries that he's fighting against, and he's going to be able to outcoach them. That's the experiment, and that experiment didn't necessarily turn out great. But Florida still won a bunch of games, and I think in many ways the expectation should be that Florida's going to win a bunch of games. The idea that they're going to be like favored to win the SEC East anytime in the not too distant future, um, I think. Look, I mean, if you were. Auburn's gone through 14 head coaches since Nick Saban took over. I'm, I'm exaggerating. I don't know what the real number is, but uh, <laughs> Auburn's gone through a ton of coaches since then. Every time they bring in a new guy, they're like, this is the guy who's going to finally take down Saban. Every year you go to SEC media days and everybody picks Alabama to win the West, right? So, <laughs> and Alabama has not won the West every year, right? So there's absolutely a possibility for these programs to position themselves to be able to be the team that jumps up there when Alabama has a down year. Um, but that's all you're really preparing your, for yourself for at this point and and that's not what florida has historically been and so i can understand why why 
fans' expectations are you're not doing what you need to do. At the same time, if we set expectations appropriately, given the recruiting classes that are in there and given sort of some of the limitations at some of the positions, then I think that helps give Napier the patience that he needs to potentially build this thing into more than, than what we maybe think it can be. Yeah, and as you said, and this is a topic for another day, I do wonder how the 12-team playoff <laughs> changes things uh, down the road. That's a topic for another day, but they're very interesting uh, with the changes coming in college football. Heck, in the SEC as well, Texas and Oklahoma on the horizon <laughs> to, 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 make, to make this just a bit harder. But as we said, 12 teams in the playoff, well, we'll see we'll, we'll see what it plays out. Uh, with that many teams and that many blue bloods in the uh, SEC the 12 team playoffs is a good thing for the schools. So, well, I look forward to when, when four teams make the playoff, four SEC teams make the playoff and we give them each final four banners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. I think it was yeah. Travis said there's going to be four SEC teams in the final four before, uh, you know, in the next five years or something, I think is what he said. I thought that was funny. And then I thought about, it, and I was like, well, if you took Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and, you know, who would the fourth one have been this year? Um, I, I don't even know who the fourth one uh, LSU. If you took those four teams and put them in a playoff against the next eight guys in the rankings, I think Ohio State would have knocked out some of those SEC teams. Yeah. Clemson wouldn't have. No. <laughs> TCU wouldn't have, clearly. No. Michigan would not have. Michigan wouldn't have. I mean, I'm just looking at it going. It would have been. An, it would have been three SEC teams in Ohio State. Ohio State's basically an SEC team. They steal all the players from Florida. There you go. I mean, uh, it, it it is interesting. It is interesting. I, I was, I, I'm against the 12 team playoff, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm against 14 playoff fans. <laughs> I'm I'm <laughs> I'm definitely an old fogey when it comes to that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, yeah. Look, we're 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 heading very quickly towards two twenty team conferences, and yeah. you know they're going to split off from the universities, and they're going to end up having to share their revenue from the TV streams with the with the players. And it's basically going to be a, a miniature NFL, and you know I think that's where we're headed eventually. Now the NCAA is going to delay it as long as they can, and it's going to take a really long time to get there. And you know maybe that expands beyond twenty or you know forty teams just because of the way the playoff sets up, but. Um, this is all moving towards a minor league, towards a yeah. minor league for, for college. And, you know, whether I like it or not, I think that's where we go. Now, the good news is, is Florida is a program that has to be included in that. Um, and so you're not going to get left out. If I was like a, a Wisconsin of the world, or especially in like the ACC, if I was like a Virginia Tech or a Syracuse or a Georgia Tech or something like that, I'd be really worried I was going to get left out of something like that. And, uh, you know, so Florida's not in that state. Florida's going to be included in whatever the, the reorganization eventually ends up being. But, um, you know, I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about, at least in terms of recruiting and, and what it means to be in the conferences, you've also got Oklahoma and Texas coming in in, in the next couple of years yeah. as well. And, and so, yes, there are going to be more spots to make the playoff. But there's also going to be more SEC teams well, we that to play during the, during the regular season. And you're going to get a year where you play Oklahoma, Texas, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, and you know you get that, and LSU get you get that line of of teams. Good luck going nine and three. <laughs> like it's going to be a tough one. I mean, it'll be awesome for people who have season tickets, but uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I want to run that gauntlet right now. Yeah, yeah. The conversation a year from now, that's what it's going to be. We're, we're talking twelve team playoff and Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. So. 
All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Well, one more time, what you what did you throw up at reading reaction, uh, recruiting, Rashada, all that good stuff? A little bit. So it's actually called Catching Georgia. Yep. And the idea of the article is to say, what would I do from a strategic perspective? Because that's always the thing that's thrown back at me is, is like, well, how would you do things differently? So this is what I would do in terms of doing things differently. And it's sort of framed within the the things that are going on with Jaden Rashada and what I think that sort of indicates in terms of some of the, the, the things that are going on. But it really talks about casting a strategic vision and making sure that your fans and your collectives and your, your fundraisers and your staff and, and even the players who are coming into your program understand the vision that it can be clearly communicated and that they're all bought in and rowing in the same direction. And I think if there's one thing that this has sort of shown is that not necessarily everybody in that chain is rowing in the same direction right now. And I think one of the ways that you fix some of the things that we've seen is just making sure that that strategic vision is 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 cast. And so I sort of put what I would cast as my strategic vision. And certainly I think people might agree with it or disagree with it, but I thought it was sort of an interesting exercise to say, all right, let's not just say it's somebody's fault that this happened. It's okay. This happened. Is this, would I have handled it the same way? Or is there, is there thinking that sort of, you know, has, has led us to this place that maybe is flawed and should we examine that and see whether we make a change in direction? All right. Will miles. You can find me read and reaction.com on YouTube. Read reaction there. Good. Coming up there. Uh, man, stand up and holler. That's uh Nick's been on vacation, right? No, no, we did we did it last night, so that should post today, okay. actually. And, okay, uh, okay, and uh, we it was all Rashad all the time. That's all it there was. Was, uh, <laughs> was talking about that. So, um, you know, we, we've sort of we've sort of danced around it a little bit, but he and I actually went through on that one and read some of the reports, and then said, if this is true, what does this mean? Ah, right. Okay. So, just because it. it we all have those conversations. Let's have those conversations and say, you know, look, I don't know what's going on, but if this is true, what does it mean? And so we sort of went through that. I thought it was kind of an interesting exercise. There you go. On Read Reaction YouTube, Nick and Will on Stand Up and Holler. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us right here on Gators Breakdown. <laughs>